Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Nathaniel Worley. And I'm Baron. and today we're sitting down with Mr. Sanjeev Kalida. Sanjeev is co-founder and CEO of Guppy, the Web3 Credit Bureau, and editor-in-chief of Money 2020, the world's leading fintech event series. A leader in fintech for over two decades, Sanjeev has also worked at large organizations like Google, Intel, and Citi, as well as several startups with successful exits. In other words, Sanjeev has been at the frontier of fintech growth in the past two decades. Thank you for joining us, and we're excited to be speaking with you today. Th- th- thank you very much, and uh, really excited to be here. Really glad to have you here. Um, so, uh, Mr. Khalid, I'd, I'd first like to ask you about sort of your your background in general. Um, I was curious what inter- introductions to finance and tech you had um, when growing up, and also what what sort of media influenced you and kind of took you on this trajectory. Sure. I, I so I, I'm actually just a bit of my personal background. I, I was born in India, moved to the U.S. when I was a toddler and grew up in Brooklyn, then Long Island, then Puerto Rico, then uh, New Jersey, and, and then went to college. So like I moved around quite a bit. And and, and I, I think like even when I was a uh, young child in, you know, as a, as a, in like nursery school, I used to enjoy taking apart my toys and seeing how they worked. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, I, I really got a kick out of that. And I remember like even when I was a kid, I used to make drawings of designing different types of things. And so then I, I became an engineer uh, in, in college and I wound up um, working for Intel. I used to be a computer chip designer at Intel. I used to design, I helped launch uh, Intel's graphics chip business many years ago, and um, which was a lot of fun. And then during the, that launch for that business, I, I asked myself, you know, what are our customers saying about it? How are we pricing it? What are competitors doing? And I just found myself like, okay, maybe I should use this as a sign that I should look at like like business. And so then I wound up going to business school um, and, and after which uh, worked in um, at Citibank for about nine years in, in credit cards. Uh, so, you know, started off in financial services. And then um, I the last uh, 12 years I've been doing startups. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, actually Guppy is the fourth startup I'm working on. Uh, the, the two prior startups we, we uh, were sold for. Uh, w- um, the one startup was called TXV, a payment platform building technology company that was acquired by Google. And uh, just like I, I had actually, I had actually tried to interview for a job at Google. You know, back in you know a few about uh, seven years before, and and didn't get it, and then lo and behold, wound up getting uh, paid to join Google, which was sort of nice. <laughs> and and uh, I, I left Google um, uh, my one year anniversary there to help build a fintech conference called Money Twenty Twenty. And back then, Google was the number one company people wanted to work for. And they thought I was crazy to leave that to build a you know a startup and and but I, I once you I, I just enjoyed building and so that's sort of why I've done that and that's sort of what what drives me at this point as well too yeah awesome that's um I mean you mentioned it at the start um, taking apart toys and stuff when you were a child um, kind of an anecdote but I used to do that as well and my family would say like oh you should look into engineering but I've I've kind of drawn away from that but um yeah that's it's a fascinating um childhood development that you had absolutely and shifting towards your uh professional career and looking at guppy in particular could you describe to our listeners briefly what guppy does what is a rep3 credit bureau and what is your vision for the future of the company sure absolutely so um you know having worked at citibank i I just sort of saw 
like, you know, we used to use credit bureau data to help determine whether or not we would give credit cards to people. And if we would give them a credit card, how much, what was the interest rate? And so if you had better credit history, you got a lower interest rate. Um, worse credit history, you got a higher interest rate or maybe even dec- declined completely. And uh, what I found, uh, what, what wound up happening was that um, basically, like I, I had problems with bad data on my own credit bureau, um, and it, which which was like um, wrong in terms of my marital status, wrong in terms of like other. Like they, they said, I had five foreclosures and four bad auto loans, even though I'd never had an auto loan or owned a, owned a house before. Um, you know, like, like I said, they, they said I was married when I was not. Uh, so so it, it was really bad data. And, and so I was like, okay, this is a really bad system. And I was like, okay, well, how do we make the system better? And so started building on that, you know, years ago with um, on the blockchain. And as, you know, Web3 has developed with, um, more consumer empowerment with, uh, you know, more transparent systems. That's, we're very much in the line of that and enabling consumers to uh, truly, you know, manage and own their data. It sounds like Guppy will definitely address the pain points of a lot of consumers and give the consumers more agency. So I think that's great. And yeah, I'd, I would definitely like to opt in for that. I'm really glad to hear you say that. <laughs> and this is a bit of a simple question, but uh, the name Guppy as well, um, how did you come about deciding that name? Yeah, so so the way that uh, I, you know, I came up with Guppy, first of all, I wanted something that was organic, um, something that was living something that was approachable and, and not scary. Um, and, and, you know, you've heard of like loan sharks, right? And like, I, I sort of had that shark mindset of like chasing a bunch of fish. And, and then like, I, I remember seeing another, another image of like a bunch of small fish, like forming a big shape of a bigger fish than chasing the shark. And then, so that, that's sort of like my, uh, vision of this is that w- w- with with the um, organizational capabilities of blockchain, we're, we're enabling a lot of small fish to take on the big fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I didn't realize that analogy before, but it makes sense. And it's, it's a great name, I have to say. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And then pivoting a bit towards the current fintech landscape, you have experience in city, a large large bank, but you also have startup experiences. So we're wondering what your thoughts on the fintech landscape is. There is a dynamic or general narrative that the it's a big bank versus fintech landscape and one will prevail or perhaps they will merge. But what are your thoughts about this for the coming decade or so? And how do you think it'll play out? That, 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 that's an, an, another uh, very astute question because I, I'd, I'd say when I first sort of got into um, you know the, the startup world, um, it was viewed as like the fintechs were going to eat the bank's lunch, but then as as things progressed, you know, the, it was a realization that like actually the fintechs have a great value proposition, um, but the banks have access to cu- customers. So like if you combine the two, then you know you, you might have the best uh, op- outcome. And so that was a case of like the fintechs wanting to take the lunch bankers out for lunch, and 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 and, and so I, I think it's, it it is very much about like sitting at the same table and, and trying to figure out, you know, strengths and weaknesses and how one can complement uh, the other. Um, you know, it, perhaps that sounds a bit too kumbaya, but like, I, you know, the thing with financial services is that it is, um, 
it, it does require a lot of ecosystem thinking. And, and you, you, if you think of just yourself, it, you know, that, that's, um, that's not the best recipe for success, I think, in the long term in, in financial services. That makes sense. Collaboration through whether it's smaller fintechs or even tech companies like Apple and Goldman Sachs working together. There are a lot of avenues for collaboration. And even with the recent advent of open banking, there are a lot of different options. So I think that definitely is very insightful and interesting. Yeah, and I, I think to that point as well, I, it, it kind of sounds like equity is, is really the name of the game, like providing everyone um, like equal accessibility to resources based on what they need. Because it seems like, I mean, banks and other large institutions in the US, I mean, um, even colleges, it's, it's kind of like old money, um, the same people who have been managing these types of places. Um, and I think this is kind of like an exciting way of um, getting past that point and, and kind of exploring new avenues in which um, banking can actually occur. Um, I, I had a question about, um, it was it was during, uh, I believe, an, an interview that you had just maybe a year or so ago, or it was a video in which you were in, um, talking about the monetization of data. Um, and I mean, obviously, like, free services that we have access to, Facebook being a, a good example of that. Um, it's like, if if we are not paying for it, it's just our data being sold. Um, so I was curious about your take on like concerns about privacy and the monetization of data. Like what is a happy middle ground? Is it is it consumers being able to uh, more clearly see how their data is being used and instead of it just being hidden away in, in terms and conditions? Or is it more complex than that? Yeah, I, I think I, that, that's that's also another great question. It's a very complicated question, and I I, I think that like the, the, the one like for, for example, I think a lot of the financial services industry like will will sort of default to like as long as you um, tell people what you're doing with the data that, that that's good enough, and and um, and not necessarily provide you know a whole lot of control over it. Um, whereas like you, you might, it, like in, for example, in like Google and Facebook, um, for example, they, they do give you some options of like how your data is used, um, but, but it's also like, I, you know, that's at some point, like, you know, they do need to, they will need to use your data and they will use your data and, and you sort of don't know how, it, how it's actually being used a lot of times. So I, I, I think you, you, you are trusting them to do what they say that they're doing. Which is n not always the case. Um, I, I, I think, like as far as monetization, um, it's there, there is. I, I, I even myself, like I, I've probably been in a bit of an evolution about it, right? Like I, I like a, a few years ago, like I would I would give anyone my email address and information if I could download some report or some information or get access to like, you know, some, some kind of service. But, but now, nowadays I find myself like either asking myself even more, uh, um, more, I, I guess with circumspectly, like, okay, do I really need this? Um, and, and so, so sometimes in a lot of well, what people do is they'll have like fake email addresses and data, for example, right? And, and so, so that, I think that, that, that also shows you a bit of the progression of how they might value their, and I think that, you know, to your point, 
it can, there's a greater re realization of the value of your own data and which is leading to some of this uh, evolution in, in consumer behavior. Pivoting to a more international worldwide lens, in an inter interview before COVID, you talked about the digital economy in countries such as China, as opposed to a more physical currency and plastic card uh, economy such as the US, where a lot of credit card is still being used and not as much mobile payments, though that is that does seem to be changing. Uh, I was curious about, because I grew up in China and lived there for most of my life, so I was really used to using WeChat and the convenience it brings, but on the flip side, you also mentioned there are the privacy concerns and uh, regulation issues, so I was wondering what you think about the super app and whether uh, the U.S. can see anything like a super app in the coming few years. Yeah, th th I think that that's an another uh, deep topic to talk about because it, it, it's... On, on one hand, the, the, the benefit of the super app is that since it's all in a single system, it, it just takes a lot of friction out of uh, doing everyday tasks. Uh, it, it simplifies things, and, and which, which are all great things. And then the, the, the flip side is, okay, once again, going go back to your question, Nathan, like how, how's your data being used and who's using it and who has access to it? And um, if, if that's not necessarily transparent, like that, that also makes you wonder like you know what, what exactly is happening um I, I, th th there has been a lot of um written and and i, I don't say initiatives within um you know various companies in in the, in the west to try to copy that super app um i i think it it's um like at this point like th there's also like i i just to even layer up, like you know, you have the operating systems of the iPhone and Android, and like that—that's that, almost like that's also trying to create a box around a, you know, a set of experiences. So that, that that you can make a case that is that enough, or maybe not enough. Um, and also, like the access to data that they have is also limited. Um, I so it, it, I, I think that. Um, like especially like for example in, in in like with Alipay or WeChat, like you know having the the communications, the contacts, then all these other services all all together, again and having sort of a collective buy-in just made a lot of that made that made those platforms that much more valuable. Uh, will we get a, a collective buy-in to any platform or similar type of platform um, in the West? I. I I don't necessarily foresee it, but I, I, I you know, it, it could very well happen if, as long as like there's a, a strong enough value proposition. Yeah, and I mean, especially, I think there are a lot of concerns about monopolies again. Um, I think I remember seeing something about either Google or Facebook. Um, I don't know. There's, I, I think, a bit of a push to kind of. Um, break up companies into smaller sectors. So I, I, this does make me wonder as well. Like, would the super app actually? come to come to being in the US I I'm not fully sure but um, kind of moving away from that a bit um, the economy is increasingly digitizing um, I'm curious about the space for physical currency still um, I mean does cash especially smaller coins like the penny um, are they less relevant now or is a physical currency always going to have a place yeah I I think it it's um Maybe this is a bit of a side note, but I, I remember being in India, you know, visiting my relatives in the, <clears throat> I think in the 80s and 90s, where at one point, like, um, it was actually more valuable for people to 
try to melt down coins and make it into statues. And, and, and they would sell, you know, the, the statues. And, and so you, you couldn't get change and you couldn't use change. And so that, but by default, you actually wound up having uh, change being taken out of the system. And, and it was because of the value of uh, what, it, what it provided. And I mean, at this point, like, um, like I, I, I was even at, um, uh, I, I was at a fast food place and I drive through and I, I was missing like, a few pennies and, and the person was like, forget it, just go. And, 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 and it's like, like a few years ago, that wouldn't have happened. Right. And, and, and so it's a question of like, what, what, what is the actual value of it? And, and as far as like the place for physical cash, um, I, you know, I, I think we're, we're used to it. Um, but at the same time, like I, I'm, I, I was actually just helping, um, my parents buy a car, a used car, and they wanted the payment in cash. And I'm like, okay, how do we get like several thousand dollars worth of cash and count it? And all, you know, it's, there, there's definitely like, um, you know, pain points associated with it. So I, um, the, 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 re, the reason people, merchants would like a cash is because it's, you, you don't have to pay any transaction fees. Like when, when you pay with, you know, credit cards and stuff like that. So it's a, a, ch- a cheaper cost. Like if, if we get a, a low cost, no cost uh, digital currency, I, I think that, that that could potentially take cash out. And to that point you made earlier as well about um, in India, people melting down the coins just to turn them into statues. Um, the penny, the the copper value of an actual copper penny, and I think it hasn't been fully copper since like 1971 or 1972 or so, but um, those pennies are the early ones that are still purely copper, are still out there. And I've, I've seen... Um, mentionings of people um, hoarding them in hopes that the U.S. government will soon discontinue the penny, thereby making it um, legal to melt them down and sell them for the value of copper. So I was oh, just, wow. yeah, it, it just I, reminded I, I, I me of that as well. That one, yeah. So if, if to any listeners right now, if you, <laughs> if you see any pennies from before the early 70s, it might be worth keeping them. <laughs> no, that's definitely a great point, Nathan. And just looking at from physical currencies and the evolution to now cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, for there may be some people who uh, have a skewed notion of what the crypto space or the NFT space looks like due to a high profile celebrities perhaps endorsing or uh, the general notion. And uh, I was wondering from your perspective as someone who has uh, leveraged blockchain technology in your uh, in Guppy in your companies, I was wondering um, what do you think. Uh, about the general conflation of all these different um, NFTs technology or crypto technology and like the space recently going through a downturn and conflating all of that with the other aspects of fintech and blockchain technology. Yeah, the, 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 that's that's a that's a, a lot to unpack there, and and, and I I I would say that um, like the so from my own personal perspective, I. I I've always been much more interested in blockchain technology as opposed to cryptocurrency, but I uh, obviously cryptocurrency is a big part of of a blockchain system, and it enables um, enables uh, transactions to happen, enables exchange of data, enables exchange of value, and um, like in the in the end, like it's a like the cryptocurrency is a the way I look at it is it's a token, and and a similar to like even when you have like a mobile wa- like your 
Apple Pay or Google Pay or, or even you know some other digital payment device. There, there's a digital token that says "Trust me," because I I I am this payment device. I am this. I I, I am what I say I am, and and it's a cryptographic token. Uh, that that protects that, that and provides trust around that, and and so that is what um, like a, a cryptocurrency is. I'd, I'd say that's the way I look at it. More, more and, and like as far as like um, like a, a NFTs versus other cryptocurrencies, like so for example, you, you know the the U.S. dollar used to be what was called in the gold standard, right? So like one dollar. Was it could be redeemed for one dollar of gold, and 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 so it was very, um, uh, you know, it, it was a, a transaction um, um, currency, and, and and but but and and, and so like I, I'd almost look at like that, uh, like a, a traditional cryptocurrency as, as something like a almost like a, think about it as a gold back standard. Whereas like an NFT is like if you took that gold. And you and you made a statue of it. You 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 made it unique into something that is different. And so it it is still gold, which but it's because it's like something different. Um, there could be different values associ- value associated with it, and it can fluctuate in a, in a sort of a different class. Um, so I I, I think it, it's um, the the. the it, the way I, it, the other thing is it's we're still I'd say in, in the early stages, so th- there's a lot to be like until we figure out like more standard modes of operation. Like I think we're we're sort of gonna have to feel around a little bit and see what how, th- how things go. I, I don't know if that answers your question. right. Yeah, that that answers it, and it really does seem like we're in a great area where the regulation is still trying to uh, look at what what is going on in this space and trying to understand it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that, we'll see how that all comes together. So in discussion about kind of trying to formulate um, best practices, how governments can kind of like implement um, this, this whole new method of payment. um, I'm curious your thoughts on, um, on how fine tech can be used by governments and NGOs, especially in um, less developed countries. Um, just to give some background info, um, over the summer I was working with uh, BRAC USA, and um, I I learned that in BRAC, or sorry, in Bangladesh, um, uh, BRAC Bank is kind of like the go-to payment method, where it's like basically every transaction you do is going to be through BRAC Bank, and it was really interesting to me because I think we have some like similar things in in the U.S. at least, but um, PayPal being an example, maybe. But um, yeah, kind of your thoughts on how uh, fine tech can be used for the benefit of governments and other large international um, NGOs. Yeah, I, I, so I, I think um, like as as far as governments, um, like w- w- one of the um, problems with um, you know, traditional cash in general is, is like, it's, it's, um, um, you, you don't know where money is coming from or where it's going. And, and, and like, I think this was really brought forth to me, like, so going back, you know, 21 years to September 11th of, uh, you know, the, um, you know the 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 terrorists that that bombed the towers they they got their funding from various sources and 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 um i remember sitting uh, when i was at citibank in a, a presentation by the fbi 
about they talked about like oh of these 19 folks you know they had these credit cards these prepaid cards or you know and and these or bank accounts and and we could sort of see like how they were getting um their funding but this was post and 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 it's it's a bit of like um you know so i i so i'd say from a you know keeping society safe perspective you you know have being able to track that uh, has potential benefits, and, and the, the flip side is like, you know, the worrying about the being in a in a police state, and 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 um, you know, lo- losing freedom to be able to actually do things that um, that are, are not harmful to people, and 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 or, and um, so I, you know that that that's that's a bit of a, a question of like in, ensuring that the, the the police themselves are accountable. Or the the folks managing the system are accountable, but like in in, in general, like um, we've also seen uh, a lot of uh, what was called like reg tech, uh, regulatory technology, and 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 so you know you could use AI or artificial intelligence or machine learning models to like help identify any transactions that are uh, potentially criminal or uh, could potentially lead to like. You know, bad actors. Um, so, so that, that, that that's that, that's part of it, and also like l- looking at it from the NGO perspective. And I'm probably what um, you know it sounds like you had a great experience there in, in Bangladesh, and and it was like um, just enabling more people to get access to services um, because in in the end, like a lender wants to have surety uh, that that if the, if I if I lend you money, that you will pay me back. And and so they want to know: Are you who are you? Like, are you who you say you are? Uh, you know, any any behaviors, any uh, assets, like any any type of information around that that can make that um, lender feel more comfortable with you. And the more comfortable they feel with you, um, the, the lower they they can charge in terms of interest rate as well, too. So you you're, you'll be able to do things at a lower cost. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, I, I think that definitely does. I mean, because cost definitely is is a huge factor for NGOs when they have to decide like if something is going to cost a lot more than the benefits it could provide. I mean, if this is able to reduce costs overall, then it's it's definitely um, a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And for our final question, both of us are college students, and likewise, a lot of our listeners are college students, and. The fintech space has garnered a lot of interest. At Claremont McKenna, we have the Financial Economics Institute, which offers a lot of fintech-related events and courses. So I was wondering, what advice would you give um, college students like us, who are, or young people in general, who are interested in entering the fintech space? Yeah, I, I, I think that th- there's a lot of opportunity in, in fintech at, at the moment, and I, I'd actually say for the, you know, foreseeable future. I, I, I think that. Um, like going back to when I was a college student, like w- w- one of the things that I like, hopefully you you guys have appreciated being at a, a top institution, is that you have access to a lot of great knowledge, a lot of great minds, and and like so, you you, you might take it for granted when you're all on the same campus and you're sort of on the, but once you're out there, like you, you I I was surprised at like, um, like how you know how much. The, you know, if you're more prepared one might be, or even like the, the, the fact that it, it 
you know, being in a top school like this is takes a lot of hard work, and being able to do that hard work is is also that much more valued outside. So I, it, it I, so I, I mean, I, th- I think as as far as advice, um, I, I'd, I'd say that um, you know, ha- try to have a, a bit of a long term vision uh, as well. Like you know, it, it, it's um, when I left college, I. I wanted to, I was interested in entrepreneurship. I wanted to try to work on startups. And I, I actually, in it, I didn't actually work on a startup until like several, many years after graduation, but I sort of found the right place and time. Um, so just, you know, s- stick to that. Um, also, um, you, you know, you, you're going to grow as a person. So like be, be open to opportunities and be open to uh, saying yes to things when most people would say no or, or vice versa. Absolutely. Thank you for the tips. Thank you, Baron. And also to our listeners, um, adding on to that final point, um, also be open to new ideas. And we hope that this podcast has provided you many of those. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have today. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Kalita. And to all of our listeners, remember to stay hungry.